0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a little song.
1: I mean dark
2: pair of shades. I can't see my eyes unless my head is bent. You dig? Hey! Hey! No lie. You know oh, oh, yeah. Hey! I'm hey! 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 Let's go. I'm proud to be caught. Ace flying rides in the top of my garage. I see sky high. I fly with the stars. And T4 flights they be 80 grand large. And so I lean with it, leave with it. Portal controls, I mean.
0: I, miss I see it clear
2: with my bottom feet I, I hopped out second jeans in my butt missing. But then I think about it When your money on stage, you were doing them I bet she nice me She hit the floor, made it black I had my brother to the floor screaming Fuck the cop We fly, no lie. no lie, you know this All in, hey. outside, it's like show being low Ladies, they fly Huh? No lie. Ballin'.
1: good morning everybody it is uncle mike and i am here with my good friend ross ben for episode number 11 mm-hmm. of from the 40th parallel and we got ballin in america ross how are you today
0: thankful 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 excited i'm a, you know this has been highly anticipated that it has been
1: and I'm letting everybody know right now this is not just a single game which we're playing right now this is going to be a
0: series right we got a ball series coming on yeah yeah I don't think we can do this uh balling in America justice in one episode it wouldn't even you know wouldn't fall right it wouldn't you know we lose the ball game, so yeah, we gotta line this thing up to be a series.
1: You know, what's so great about it is there's so much pun, there's so much wordplay in with the, with this, and and and, yeah. and the fact that word, the fact that there's so much wordplay in our like like English lexicon is a clue, in my opinion, as to the depth of ball in our culture. The fact that so many of our words can play upon it so what we're going to do so what we're going to do today for all of the viewers at home is we're going to just have ross you're going to you're going to bring us a presentation today and i'm going to ask questions and i'm going to kind of go through that with you but then how we're going to end it is i'm going to take everything because i don't know what you're going to say I don't know i'm i'm just like anyone else i'm gonna sit on the edge of my seat and then what we're going to do or what i'm going to do is because i have some ideas where i want to go with this but what i'm going to do is i'm going to take from what i've learned from you and i'm going to take from any maybe softballs you may have thrown me and then that's going to be the next
0: game in this series yeah series so 11 be, that is that'll be 11.11 11.11
1: 11.
0: <laughs> all right i'm yeah. gonna we'll do, so that. That do 11 good. and then look for 11.11 <laughs> <laughs> 11. yeah so shoot let's just jump right into this thing let's just jump right in
2: give me a second all right y'all see my screen mike i see your screen i only got the uh the the desktop
0: yeah
2: and now we're opening And let me say something right now while
1: we got this moment. And I want to say this, and I'm going to address the the folks at home who are watching this. And, And you and I were talking about this before before we started recording and it's the amount of feedback which we're receiving from the viewers and that's fantastic but i want to say what what i'm finding most exciting and most inspiring about doing this work and it's hearing from the people who are listening to what we're doing and then applying that in their own backyards looking at where they live and beginning to understand the 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 geography the 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 city planning the history all of that as all all of this these stories which have been in our unconscious are starting to come up and be viewed and I love hearing those stories. I had a friend who came up or you know they're all friends but it was someone who I met through Susquehanna Alchemy who lives down in Virginia Beach and I gave him a tour of the area and he said he's getting ready to go and do his own his own revealing of his story. So I want to encourage anyone who's listening to this anywhere on the planet you know you go and you you, you follow that inspiration because it
0: benefits us all. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're going to see how critical and relevant that is today in our discussion. We're talking about activating global mound matrix and, and the fullness of what it means, you know. So yeah, today's reasoning is balling in America. Okay. And I do just want to affirm like what Mike is saying before we even you know get into the meat of it that i've been getting a lot of feedback in a lot of different ways you know the comments i have been paying attention we've seen this episode was highly anticipated you know uh through the comments people been hitting me up in email with all of these synchromistic uh mentions of ball and and balling coming up in in popular media you know i think the Upcoming American horror series is uh his first episode is going to be ball. And, you know, someone hit me up, brought that to my awareness. Yo, just this last week, the uh rap artist who I guess made the baller's anthem. You know, we fly high, we ballin'. Jim Jones was uh in a versus battle with the locks and you know it is kind of like a unanimous opinion that that set got you know they got uh they got smashed you know the locks took them out uh jim jones even fell off the stage you know uh highly interesting you know uh we we i want to run the clip uh so y'all can hear it and tune in and and hear how you know this ball and the baller's anthem was you know, run on a verses just this week, you know, but, uh, I do want to say that Mike, man, how we live in a quantum reality where the omniverse is a magnetic mirror, man. We opening up portals with these reasonings, bruh, because at last episode, we named it, the Queens hold the keys to the greatest mysteries, you know, and yo when you drop that queen esther science on me it 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 was like the one of the last pieces to a 500 piece jigsaw puzzle bro (laughs) you know it allowed or if it wasn't the last piece it was that pivotal piece that once you put that in it's like you, you you see how the rest of the pieces fall into place and you can seal that thing up man because there were mysteries in my heavens after doing the research that became free your mound and your mind will follow right particularly how to articulate the different types of mounds that you would find in the americas right and the time frame that you find these mounds through the americas you know i i was very limited in my scope of research on free your mound and your mind will follow because i couldn't really articulate these things like i couldn't articulate the dimensions and realms as it related to pre-flood mound builders you know Mm -hmm. so i was like yeah i'm not even talking about pre-flood mound builders and i knew there was a difference in mounds post-flood in terms of some mounds were like humans in them and they were just like earthen mounds you might have found like copper implements or different uh pottery you know human artifacts but you weren't finding giants you weren't finding uh armory you know giant mm-hmm. swords and chest of gold and these other of fortification mounds where the mounds were it wasn't just a burial place it was also a place of defense and there was evidence of war and mass burials and like how did that all fit together you know but after you drop the queen esther mysteries on me allowed me to put a lot of the pieces together even the mormons and 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 them being mound gritty the early mound gritters of the nation like what they were looking for okay so this is all what we're going to penetrate today all right fantastic i can't wait to hear and i want to start not with a question today but with a statement that we're going to reaffirm as we go through this thing when we study in history mystery and prophecy it's consistency and continuity that reveals the truth. Consistency, like you see this thing, it's consistent with the myths and the legends of the indigenous people. It's consistent with what the archaeology reveals. It's consistent with what we see in classical literature, uh, mythology, and it's it's consistent what we see in history Mm -hmm. recording it when you see consistency across the board and you also see a continuity across time like the same phenomena expressing itself across time then you know what you're looking at more than likely is a truthful angle a truthful thing you know so keep that in your mind as we go through this ball in america okay and we're going to start by once again decoding this statue the spirit of enterprise because this is ball this is this is ball in america right here right now okay and it shows an important truth that who groups that we would call native americans or indigenous americans people who were in the americas before the arrival of the colonists they was playing ball you know there were groups playing ball and the reality is again continuity It to me it doesn't add up that Right, the Americas was just this, was in an Edenic state. Not that this wasn't at one time Edenic, but that right prior to colonization, that, right, there was just this Edenic state and the indigenous were living at a time of uh, peace, love and happiness and then bam, just this great uh, catastrophe befell them, no that's not that's 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 not a a perspective that lends itself to continuity there had to be a chain of events which had momentum that created the condition in the americas for colonization and what was those chain of events what was that momentum playing ball playing with ball the spirit of enterprise the spirit of commerce and what happened was the indigenous got balled out playing with balls balls you know because look at this indigenous man right here right who's on his back see the way this statue is laid out look at it from this vantage point you have a nephilim you have a giant right here on earth you see people jogging and running by him, by his foot. You can see his scale. He's a giant, he's a Nephilim, he's a fallen angel on earth. In scouts pose with a super large penis with semen coursing through it, right? Represented by like that spiral stream Mm -hmm. coming out of his loins. And he's ejaculating, right? You see, that's the seed, the same seed coming out of his loins, embodies the same seed that represents the eagle sitting on top of his penis. So he's, you know, ejaculating the eagle, the, the spirit of, I guess what you would say, America, right? But then when you look on look at him on this side, it's a Lenape. On his back, and this giant, this nephilim, in this hand—you see his hand at the top. Uh huh. He's holding the caduceus, which is the staff of Imhotep, the the staff that you know our medical association uses as its emblem, right? But the serpents have left the caduceus. The intertwining serpents have left the caduceus. One serpent is wrapped around the giant himself. That's what you see uh engulfing his waist and his back area, right? Mm
2: -hmm. The
0: other serpent is wrapped around the midsection, the stomach of this Lenape who's on his back. And we see that what was the seed on the other side is his hair, is his locks. On this side, right? Right. See that his legs, he has an apron right we know the apron is significant in terms of uh masonic symbology and and we see that in that uh john smith map is that mm-hmm. am i correct right You're absolutely there, correct that there was again this parallel of, of giving some indigenous um, masonic apparel so he has an apron on and you see the eagle is resting on top of his legs but where are his hands going mike uh they are where are the hands his hands are going up he's holding his arms up let me see if i got one that shows it well there you see his arms are going up uh-huh. into the so what does that mean he's doing <laughs> what is he doing mike with his hands <laughs> i don't know you tell me he's playing with the giants balls bruh playing ball he's playing with his balls he's playing with his balls you're Balling, absolutely right playing
1: i thought balls. you were gonna say he was fisting them. so like i was just waiting to hear where you were gonna go
0: nah he's playing with his balls man <clears throat> so this the symbolic symbology and wow. the statue the spirit of enterprise it really tells the state of the indigenous they got balled out playing with balls balls And you know when we think about the sports industry today, this thing I'm telling you has profound implications for, uh, you know, this thing with ball. Mm -hmm. And like I say, we can't get all into. We're not even going to really penetrate like on a cosmological level. Who is ball today? We're going to just look at him really as ball's historical presence in the Americas. But again, continuity is important, man continuity and consistency and this is something we have spoken on in the great mystery philadelphia that when you study the public art of this city and you decode it using the language of the muses one thing is very clear man the people orchestrating ball in america today you know whoever you want to call them whatever you know I could definitely say the artists who are inspired by these works tend to be some have some affiliation with the rosy cross. We could say that, mm-hmm. okay, but from their perspective, they're telling us that the clash of the Titans continues. Okay. And Hollywood, man, has done such a great job on our mind because when I, I know for my generation, If I say the Clash of the Titans continues, what comes to their mind is the claymation movie, you know, with the little owl and Medusa. I
1: remember watching that in sixth grade. I remember watching that. That was part of our sixth grade, like special treat. We got
0: to see that in class. Yeah. So yeah, man, that's that's what comes to mind, you know. And I know they even have updated versions for the later generations, right? What we have to overstand is that uh, the Greek sources that where they draw the uh, what they call the clash of the titans, particularly Hesiod. They, uh, it's a recording of comedic history of the wars that went on in the Nile Valley, ancient Kemet. And that if you look at it from that perspective, you're able to line up the mythology around the Greek gods and what they did and you know how that thing played out. And that's important. Why? Because it continues. This thing never stopped. And the Clash of the Titans was occurring here in the Americas, uh, concurrent and after. The clash of the Titans in the Nile Valley, you know. And th- at this current state, where we are in the clash right now, uh we could say two Titans are running the earth, and that would be Prometheus and Ball, you know. And here we're looking at two statues of by Jock Lipschitz, Prometheus Strangling the Vulture in front of the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and the Spirit of Enterprise, like who we said is bald. Uh, and that's on Kelly Drive, right on the Schuylkill River near where the 40th parallel begins.
2: Hmm. So, Give a brief
0: overview of the Clash of the Titans, right? Started 17,000 years ago, when they say Prometheus ended the golden age, okay? By giving technology, electric fire to humanity. In ancient Kemet tradition, Kemetic tradition, this was Ptah Seker who became the uh, patron deity of Memphis or Menefer, overthrowing Asar Anu or Asar Ani. He's you know, known by, by both of those, Anu or Ani. And he's like, if we could say who Asar is, he's the god of terraforming. Hmm. He's like this celestial sky god who comes down to earth and seeds the earth and makes this garden on earth and puts humans in this garden. And what do I think human's purpose was in this garden? To build mounds, to find a magnetic earth grid and bury their dead as a part of this terraforming. I think the soil that was made by making these mounds made lush gardens on the earth, okay? Hmm. And that was the original Edenic state that we were just supposed, we weren't supposed to be buying and selling shit with no spirit of enterprise. We weren't supposed to be using no technology. We were just supposed to be living, uh, burying our genetic material in these mounds on these earth grid points to te- as a part of the terraforming, right? And Ptah Seker ended that. Seventeen thousand years ago, consistency and continuity. This same cat we was checking, right? What him tell us? Yeah, he was born one day. Yes, what him say? Seventeen thousand years ago. So this guy, and he said he wasn't the only one. He said there was about twelve or thirteen of these characters. But these cats embody Prometheus, these fallen angels who were here on the earth. You know, we're going to show. Well, let me even mention this. Clash of the Titans continues. The Olympians, the ones who like wanted to reinstitute that primordial Asarian way of life. They're minimized and put in a pediment. This, this triangular figure you see on buildings, they're called pediments. And usually the deities you see in pediments, there's an impediment just their placement and in relation to where you are, you don't have access. It's hard to see the details of them. You don't have no direct and personal physical, it's almost impossible because they're in this pediment for you to have access to them, right? That's in contrast to the fallen angels, the Nephilim who are big and right here on earth you could touch them look at my man's foot in relation to the people in the uh in the background to him you know they're right here like this character
2: right here so can you walk me through again who is in the pediment
0: we'll get into that okay 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 just know right now it's the Olympian God
1: though so is this, it is it is it fair to say this am i i'm thinking about this like pediment kind of like a prison is that a, is that a way to think exactly
0: of exactly it's exactly what it is and so what it is is that like our gods have become or what i when i say our gods the deities that more than likely if they had dominion over what occurred on the planet it would be more aligned with the Best intentions of humanity. Okay. But now they're pie in the sky. We just got to pray for their pie in the sky. Give us some grace and mercy from heaven. That's our relationship, you know? We're going, we're going to get into the whys of it. But yeah, that's what the impediment, that's what them being in a pediment embodies, that we don't have direct and personal access with them like we do these characters. hmm. And like here we can see this man was saying he 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 dropped the tapes. He dropped his, he revealed, remember this with these cats for their magi to work. There can't be no secrets, only missions. Mm-hmm. Because then it has to be up to you to use your own free will, decipher their plans and their intentions and how it fits in consistently and. In- Con- continuously, I hope I said that right. With uh, what we see and what history is, you know, played out. So here's this guy, who's like I said, he's not the only one, but they embody Prometheus, these tech, these these givers of technology, who have some associ- association with the underworld, the ty- uh, Titans, the Nephilim. Fallen angels who appear to be manipulating the arc of space time, manipulating timelines. That's Prometheus's. Prometheus means forethought. And his gift was that he could see what the future is supposed to be, which ultimately is the Nephilim catching a harsh judgment for their disruption on the planet. He sees what the future can be it's you know goes goes into different points in time changes shit up changes the timeline right for his own personal self interest so this thing started 17,000 years ago pre-flood all right we got to remember that and this was you know this was a pre-flood clash and it and and a part of this battle involved pata Pata and a different Pata Seker is like Pata, the manipulator of the of time. Pata Seker, Sek Ptah Seker brought forth men. Okay, so Seker is the second. Men is the minute. They are the tick tock. They are the ones who put put who created the doomsday timeline on the TikTok tock, countdown, the second, Seker, and the minute, the men. Right, but pata in another form that was sacred in Memphis. Pata Tenen, like Pata of the underworld. Pata the the like the ant man who would dig uh, burrows and tunnels underground. And you know when when an ant hill like or an ant or a termite when they come above ground, they make a little mound. They make a little hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do. Right. So. Um. But ta was taking over, remember I told you the original Asarians, they seemed to be, if you ask me, this is my humble opinion, me putting these pieces together, right? Mm-hmm. Their original intention in Asar Anu's terraforming was to build mounds that would make a certain soil that would create lush, Forest, you know, aligned and like kind of in tune with the global mound matrix. Mm-hmm. Ta Tenen took over, well, engaged in these pre flood mound gridding battles. And they would build these uh, like uh, monolithic stone masonry edifices or fortresses on top of the mounds they took over are these okay. pyramids pyramids is a part of that yeah so we won't get into it okay just hold that thought for a minute you know that this is what was going on pre-flood and that was again this pro- prometheus that over, that ended the golden age seventeen thousand years ago this was a dimension of that battle right okay the other, the more recent Prometheus, the II of the 19th Dynasty. Okay, this dude did a lot to attempt to manipulate the past fr- from uh, the 19th Dynasty back in history. Whereas it was just known in Kemet that Asar Ani, Asar Anu, was the god of for humanity. You know, the god that just gave humanity uh, the abundance of the garden uh that was known as Tanatir, You know, land of the gods where there was just such abundant food we lived in an idenic state. There was really no need for commerce, right? So this can, can dude, I- can i make a
1: quick uh, so when you you, i have had an idea which has been popping in my head for the last day or two but it's this idea like we hear a lot um in just regular terminology of of like the animal kingdom or even you talk about people but it's the word uh um apex predator you know there's Mm -hmm. like at the top of the food chain there's the ultimate predator and what i've been asking myself i'm like how come i haven't heard about the apex nurturer Uh. Who is the apex nurturer? And mm-hmm. as you're describing, as you're describing, uh, 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 Pataz, uh, uh, I don't want to say ne- uh, nemesis, but like I, it, it sounds like an apex nurturer, like, you know, this is a a yes, yes, yes. The star sounds like to me, like, like that's what's what, what, how I'm kind of framing it up.
0: Is that a fair way to do it? Would you that's say, an excellent way of saying it's an excellent way of saying, you know, that we know.
2: If we had a cottage of wood and a
0: garden of food, running water to anoint our mood. Yeah. We'd be in that identic state, man. Yeah. And we know that's the original way and we know it in our DNA. It ain't nothing. Nobody got to tell you for real, but then somewhere the programming got hijacked. Yeah. Right. this thing happened before the great flood. It didn't, it, you know, this thing is is consistent and continuous from that point but to bring it a little more relevant to these again the clash of the titans right ramesses ii he attempted a big timeline manipulation by creating a temple known as the asarian at a place in the Nile Valley known as Abydos or Abju. And this is Asar's uh, holy city within the Nile Valley, okay? And he named this temple the Osirian. So this is supposed to be a temple for Osiris or Asar, right? But he made the king's list that were on the walls of the Osirian go from Ptah straight to him. And so it was like an attempt to say, hey, uh, even though Asar is a blessed Netter, a blessed God, he wasn't the first. Ptah was, and Ptah, uh, the 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 lineage of kings from the first dynasty to this nineteenth dynasty, it runs straight from Ptah to me, and he excluded uh, Pharaohs or leaders who attempted to reestablish asarian way of life in the nile valley particularly pharaohs of the 18th dynasty that you know almost kind of immediately preceded him right
1: is what you just described is that kind of like similar in concept of the the who's
0: independent like kind of exactly, exactly this is is, this is exactly what i'm talking about Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. uh but something else that's real significant about the asarian is that this is the temple in the Now Valley, one of the one and only where it seems like some time lensing technology was used because you find these glyphs, these really out of place glyphs of like airplanes and helicopters, technology that looks like. It's uh glyphs of things that we are experiencing on the here and now of the timeline we're on. Yeah. Okay. And. Why that is important is because Ramesses II more than likely had time lensing technology that allowed him to see the future and manipulate things to put us on this current timeline. Okay. And that's why he, on his temple and his temple alone, you find glyphs of helicopters and shit, you know? So, This man is the embodiment of like the the, the second Prometheus, the the resurrection of Prometheus. What else is very significant is that Ramesses II, out of all 30-something dynasties of the Nile Valley, this man was the baller of all ballers. There has never been a baller on planet Earth who balled his game like Ramesses the second this man had temples all over the world he had the biggest statues the temple at abu Simbel uh with him this this is him at thebes he took over he put big ass statues for himself where uh amen the uh the asarian order these you know asarians were yeah he like put his biggest statues where the asarian uh holy cities were i told you he built the asarian in abydos which was the holy city of assar this man had a worldwide empire he was the baller of all ballers okay does this tie
1: into like uh like what we see a ball back like those huge doors
0: i'm going let me i'm a. uh I'm gonna show you the relationship. It's not all that right. All right. right. So
1: sit on my seat. Sit on my seat. Yeah, go man.
0: No, nah, but not nah, give thanks. I'm you know, stay with me. All oh, right. Yeah. So now, there were five, like a big again to kind of summarize the clash of the titans. Five main rebels who overthrew Aranos, who was again Asar Ani, this the 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 Asar of the heavens that comes down and seeds Edenic Earth, right. And in Kemet, those five rebels would be Kanun, Ptah, who I already mentioned, Men, Set, and Harishath. Kanun. Can
1: can we just go back to that slide one one, one moment? Yeah. So I uh, I wanna make just uh, an observation or comment to the folks at home, more so for them than, than you and it's like to notice the 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 um the character on the far right from what you're viewing with the erect penis yeah. so when when Roz is talking about like you know when you're looking at the statue in philadelphia and he's like look this is a huge phallic like this isn't like seeing that like in shape because well it's kind of like in between his legs like there is a strong strong continuity of the phall- the erect phallic in part of the the artistic demonstration like this is part of how it's demonstrated
0: thank you brother Thank you. Yes. A, a, continuity and consistency. Continuity, exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay. So, Kanoom, this dude was the, in, in the Nile Valley, Kanoom is the DNA manipulator and giant maker. Okay. And Kanoom actually, the Order of Kanoom worked for both the Asarians and the uh, forces of Ptah. Okay, just like in the Titanchemy, the, uh, the, the Olympians were able to uh, get the giants to help them overthrow their fellow titans. Okay, Set is basically the god of scarcity and drought and famine. The, the first order Set, the oldest order of Set, built a dam in Kerma to block off the Nile and create scarcity throughout the whole Nile Valley and you know made everyone pay tribute to Set to get get water turned on this is how uh Set ruled men is the metallurgist and the weapon maker he's the founder of Memphis or menemphor okay he is the uh like him and Ptah work hand in hand just like how to say in the Mythology that Prometheus gave humanity technology and electric fire. You know, mm-hmm. so even though Memphis and Manipha were named after men, uh, Ptah in multiple forms, Ptah Seker or Ptah Tenen, they were the patron gods of Memphis. Okay, and again, this this battle it didn't it it it, it started even before Pharaonic, dynastic Kemet when Set created a kingdom called ta around 4200 BC. And if you could see the pointer, this area of Kerma right here, Set built a, uh, built a dam that prevented water from coming up and created famine all along the Nile Valley, resulting in uh, the arise of Haru, Haru Bahute, who was a, a known deity right here in Edfu, also
2: known as Idru, right? Uh, and this
0: weaponized Haru. And he was given weapons by who? men and pata. remember prometheus is the uh manipulator of time he sees he's the one who uh kind of uses the what they call it the problem reaction solution mm-hmm. he, the the pendulum swing he wants to enact something in history so he creates the counter opposition first mm-hmm. Which will then just bring out, you know, following the law of polarity and the law of gender, just naturally bring up the solution that they want, right? So he wanted a weaponized force in the Nile Valley. And and because set was creating drought, men and patal weaponized Haru here, gave him what, like when you read the accounts, it was like flying craft and you know metal swords and and shields and shit like this was one of the first times post flood i guess we could say that these type of things appeared right and then that led to so let me can i ask you a question quickly yes
1: so the way i'm kind of thinking about how you're, how you're tell, telling, this or explaining this is like in the modern terms, like it's almost like, um, it's, it's, it's like kind of what we think of an arms dealer or any of these, like, uh, in, or international agencies that get themselves in a situation and they come in like, this is your choice. Like, yeah, you've got this problem. I'm going to sell right. you, whether this is the IMF giving loans or like, what have you like, it's, and, and what's interesting is like, as, as I say that, like, this is in the same place on earth. Like, you know, if you think about all of like the economic warfare, how it was done in South America and Africa. Like it's the same model which you're describing right here. Same continuity,
0: model. Continuity. 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 But this is the original. This is the original. Exactly. The this original. Is
1: where and, and this makes it when we see the continuity and see it like in our modern understanding like, okay, okay, I see how this is playing out over and over again. And it's the same game.
0: Yes. Hey, and I should say, Set used uh the Order of canoe to build this dam. Giants. They built. He used these giants to move what? Megalithic, monolithic rock to, to build this dam. I'm going to mention that before we head on. You know, because, right. right. Like you say, uh, these same original warmongers, the Order of Pata, the Order of Men, they leveraged this weaponized, now they got a weaponized force in the Nile Valley. And they leveraged that to, right. f- to found what we know of as dynastic Kemet, okay? Huh. The first pharaohs who was Men, Menes, Aha of Memphis. This, this was Men and Patah's home base right here. And they used the order of Set, whose base, Avarice, was right here. They dammed up. What was known in antiquity as the Western now is known in uh, like archaeological Saharan research as the Iraha River, right here. Okay, the Asarians, this is uh, Ta Natir. This is Asar's Sahara. It was much lusher. This was how the Sahara looked, what, 17,000 years ago before Prometheus and Set probably. You know, dried it up and made it the yeah. desert we know of as today. But you know, Lake Chad was mega. Chad, there was a a large lake here, coming off of mountain ranges along this Mauritanian coast. But there was also what is known as the Western Nile, and Men, Set, and Ptah, dammed it up and cut it off. And what that did was now it made any, this was Asar's original homeland, Asar's original capital was Napata and Maru in Nubia, right? Thebes was their capital in the now, in Kemet or Egypt proper, along with Asar having another holy center here at Abydos this is where ramesses ii of the 19th dynasty made the Osirian temple at that timeline manipulating temple i told you about right mm-hmm. so when they blocked off the Arara river that made all navigation and trade that the nubians wanted to have with another holy center that they had which was here in west africa now they were cut off by waterways and they had to go through the nile and into the mediterranean sail out of the mediterranean and come around Hmm. so that's really the significance of the first dynasty and why that like the founding of memphis here gave them the leverage to basically control the world you know Mm -hmm. and and that's how it was for the first seven dynasties okay then you had this other netter pop up in history his name is heresha he's one of the other titans okay his position in the Nile valley his he ruled this gnome right here which was a very important gnome was the 20th known. Uh let me see. I think I got that information. Let me go to that slide. Yeah, it was the 20th known, known as Henan Nuset, and it was important for a couple of reasons. One, it had uh one of the last lakes uh, of the drying Sahara. And it was also very close to like the Red Sea.
2: Okay? So this
0: gnome, the 20th gnome, was where shipbuilders, canal builders of the Nile Valley were centered. And they were the ones who managed the trade coming out of the Red Sea, which they would then connect by canal ways to the Nile, and then they could sail up to the Mediterranean, okay? So this is like the Suez Canal, ancient time, mm-hmm. right? A canal that connects the Red Sea to the Mediterranean, uh, after the seventh dynasty. All right. That's just kind of talking about, uh, right. Because the lake was important too, because it provided water to fill the canal, you know, so, so like this was the, this was an important commerce trade business enterprise gnome in the nile valley okay and the the, gnome, the the deity of that gnome again his name was harashath this is him right here okay and he came to power for a very brief period of time in the Nile valley it's known as the first intermediate period okay compared to the previous seven gnomes it was a short era the seventh and eighth and ninth dynasties okay and basically what happened those first seven kingdoms of dynasties of Patah men and uh up out of Memphis, mm-hmm. they collect, their, their power collapsed, and it was almost like a every man for every known for himself type of power grab, like feudal power grabs right and because Harshaft one had ships and 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 could have that extra advantage of being able to move troops quickly by waterway right this is the beginning of navy shit navy mm. battles and all of this thing right people of the sea battles uh and 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 uh moving weaponry and and troops by naval fleet uh was able to basically take over all of lower Kemet, all of the lower Nile Valley. So from the 20th Nome up through the Delta and Mediterranean. Okay. And they were wild boys. You know, their their rule was a time of like plunder and chaos and destabilization, pirate rule, pirate rule in, in the Nile Valley. Manetho said there were 70 pharaohs who each ruled for 70 days, you know? Like there was always conflict and fighting amongst uh, the pharaohs and leaders, uh, even like in family, you know, family killing and gacking family uh, to be the ruler. A lot of greed rule, okay? And so by the 11th dynasty, they were defeated, and the, but they were uh, defeated by like an alliance of Thebans, who were an Asarian order, right? These ones who again were attempting to live like Asar, natural, natural mound building, uh, live in an Edenic state uh, of abundance, right? the Sarians and the Patah order based out of Memphis. They created the 11th dynasty of Montu, uh, the, the, the Montu dynasty, right? And who came like as a bull of peace and they kicked the order, they, they, the 11th dynasty, the five pharaohs of the 11th dynasty, they waged an expulsion campaign to kick any, relation to the order of harashath and their priesthood out of the Nile valley okay but like we like if you kick seafarers out of one land what are they going to do just sail to another they're going to sail to another bro, and that's what they did and so they just settled colonies throughout the mediterranean world throughout uh the indus river valley uh Yeah, they just set up shop through through them all in their biggest center. And and that's the thing, and then when they did this, let me say this, Ball took on many different names. Each place where uh, a colony was settled, it was still Ball, it was still, well, it was still Harishat, okay? Uh, But everywhere he went, he got like a different name. Okay, the two biggest names we would know him by In Greek mythology, Greek and Roman mythologies, Hercules, Baal is Hercules. Hereshaf is Hercules. But uh, in the Mediterranean world, he got the name Baal. Because Baal, his biggest center was known as Baalbek and Hereshaf was the Lord of Baalbek. And so in Hebrew, and a lot of other Semitic tongues, he was known as Baal or Bell, Bellus. Okay, this this is all reference to to this guy. All right. So now, he was asking Mike. He was like, "Yo, who are them cats? Who are them cats in the pediment that we don't have access to? They pie in the sky now, right? Mm-hmm. These were the Olympians, and." You could say they were the upholders of ma'at, which is basically omniversal law, right? And the the love force, the magnetic, omniversal love frequency that you could tap into when you're aligned with omniversal law, right? That's what ma'at is. And these were the ones who would you would say were the upholders of Ma'at and the resurrectors of Asar, the ones who wanted the Asarian way reinstituted in the Nile Valley, okay? Amen Ra, who's the cat in the corner, the lawgiver, you see he got uh, the two tablets uh, as his crown, because Amas mm. the first is the biblical Moses, the founder of the 18th dynasty, who was coming to re-establish Amun-Ra. Again, consistency and continuity, whatever lens of history that you use, that thing has to be consistent across Greek mythology, biblical uh, history, and then just straight up archeological historical evidence. Okay? So the, this, the, the, these Olympians, the Olympians, of greek mythology are like the patriarchs and israel of the old testament you know same it's the same thing that's for another episode though right but i did just want to point that out but you got mut who's the black vulture consistency and continuity we already talked about the black vulture and their relevance you know and uh, as far as the moors that being the emblem of the moors this is the root this is going back to Mut, okay? Sekhmet, the Lioness, Heru, Anpu, Happy, the river god, that makes us happy. I don't know if you've ever really fully penetrated the mysteries of happy, Mike, but you know, you should study happy of the Nile Valley and how without happy, nobody's gonna be happy. The importance of water and the sacredness of it, and how the things that happy created on earth is what was mirrored in the celestial waters of the heavens. And, you know, those was reflected in the cycles and rhythms of how water flowed and how it synced with, you know, the rhythms of the earth. You Mm. know, happy is right here. Okay. And it's the symbol Neptune, the trident. You see the trident In, in their tie, right? This is the root of the trident right here, okay? Uh, and Hetheru, the God who the, of values, the God that teaches us what is most important in life and gives us judgment and guidance, you know? These are the Olympians and they were based out of Thebes right here, okay? And they more or less said that the original home of Asar was right here, in Napata, okay? And the proof that they said of that was that uh, there was a mount in Napata that had a uh, natural formation that was the inspiration for the shape of Asar's crown, okay? So this is here in Napata, but, but Asar also, his most ancient temple was here in Meroe or Maru, okay? And this is deep into the Sudan, all right? And you see when Set created Tasseti, he built this dam here to cut off the Asarian original homeland of Assar from the rest of the Nile Valley, right? The Thebans, the Olympians, like they came to reestablish the Asarian order throughout the Nile Valley. Okay. And they called the, they, Napata was the original Mount Olympus, Holy Mount, Mount Zion but they recreated ipet was what they called it, you know, the most sacred of mounds or the most sacred of lands here in Thebes. And then a third Ipet-isut was created in the Grecian Isles, okay? So many people wanna say like that's Mount Olympus, that's the third copy of the original mount. But, you know, when you really, again, align the clash of the Titans with what happened historically, which we could say, like, yeah, man, this thing, Ross ain't making none of this history or Kim it up. Everyone can go and verify this independently, you know. And I'm the only reason why I'm not citing uh sources for time's sake, you know. And this is like basic, this is basic history, you know. So again, within Napata, that cliff is called the Jabel Barkle Cliff. It's the originally petty soot, the most ancient, most select, most holy of places, right? And Amun is the gnome deity of Napata. So the order of Amun came up to the gnome of Mut, the gnome of the vulture, the gnome of thieves, because they said, yo, this gnome this right here was where Asar originally founded ta marie or what we know as kemet before uh patah and men and them boys took it over right they said the, uh, that this was where the asarians here and abju was where uh assar ruled this land before the takeover and it was in the gnome of mut the gnome of the black vulture so they said all right we right, gonna set up shop here reinstitute the asarian way of life they are known historically as the 12th dynasty and also the 18th dynasty, right? I'm not gonna get all super deep in the history. I cover it in Rocks of Ages, a new edition, and the Great Mystery Philadelphia. We 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 do go through all of this in the Great Mystery Philadelphia. Again, why why is this relevant? Because when you study the art architecture, archetype symbols of this city, Philadelphia, right here. They, they're telling you that from their perspective, the clash of the Titans continues. So you got to know what the clap, what really went down? How did this thing go down? Right. So there ended up being a 10 year battle between the forces of the Olympians based out of Thebes and the Titans who had up to that point, Harris shaft, men, all them boys, right? and that was known as the Second Intermediate Period. There was a 10-year war where the forces of Set who hired these foreign uh, invaders who had the technology of horse and buggy, horse and wagon militarized, right? They got up in the Nubia. They got all up in the Meroe and the Napata and almost overthrew Asar's original homeland. And the Asarians had to work with the order of Kanum. right? They had to work with the order of Kanum, get work with the giants, some genetically manipulated large humans to defeat the, Boys of Ptah and Men and Set and Harashat, okay, and so this was this was this ended up as what we would call the founding of the 18th Dynasty by Amos the First, Amosis the First, who is the biblical Moses, okay. Again, that's for another episode. So when the 18th Dynasty came into being and the Thebans came into being, they did some things the consequences of which the pendulum swing of which the prometheus he who sees the future and manipulates historic timelines which has a lot to do with what we see today in history and we really have to research and study what were the what was the aftermath of the second intermediate period of dynastic Kemet, what what happened in the 18th, uh, as well as the 19th and 20th, even though the uh, the Thebans were in power after the 18th dynasty, they were really manipulated in the 19th dynasty by Ramesses II. I told you that. He was the baller of ballers. He did a lot of wild shit. But essentially, he got the Thebans to play ball. They became ballers. They, they, instead of making the Asar way of life, make everyone go back to living naturally. Uh, you know, 10 simple laws do on the others as you want done to you, right? And just live in that Edenic state. It got caught up on the commerce and the world trade and the spirit of enterprise taking people over and conquering others and enslaving others as and and and, and commerce as a part as a way of life you know so let me let me ask you a question just to clarify so
1: um so can you go back to the the, the previous slide, the uh, rise of the Olympians? Yeah, the rise of the Olympians. So those are the, the the rise of the Olympians, the uh and those were um like happy and and all of the the people we talk about who are in the in the pediment are, are the uh the triangle. Um, and they were at one point. They were kind of like the the protectors, they were wor- they were moving back towards that that Edenic lifestyle. But it was at this time when those that were the at that level that were supporting the Edenic lifestyle. That's when they shifted. Like is and then. Eighteenth like,
0: dynasty.
1: 18th, so then. Eighteenth the
0: dynasty was started out like seeming like yeah we're gonna reinstitute this we're gonna reinstitute the Asarian way the natural original way but then they too got caught up with that spirit of enterprise using like biblically how it's expressed biblically how king how did King Solomon spread his power and influence throughout the world I through know. through partnering with Hiram of Tear mm. the baller mm. right, right?
1: so but here's my question so is this like at this point when the when that when that like shift happened uh the rise of the olympians to the enterprising way
0: like was there no longer like uh, like i said that was from the 18th so the 18th dynasty were like the olympians and you could say for much of the 18th dynasty the reinstitution of the original asarian way was their vision and intention right but by time the 19th dynasty rolls around ramesses ii his father seti the first, and even the last pharaohs of the 18th dynasty okay it, it kind of waned they was they was ballers they was playing ball we'll get has into it has it
1: ever come back is my question has there Absolutely. ever been has there ever been a, a, a has it ever come back the the fighting for the uh, for the edenic way of life well what or has it all what? been
0: great question what happened they fled to the Americas. Ah. They fled to the so Americas that, and attempted to live Edenic over here. So that's so until when we the were, ballers made their way back to the Americas. And what you were talking about in the beginning of
1: The Queen Holds the Key, the Key and yeah. you were talking about the Americas, like what it was like and who was there, and as the refugee state. Yes. So that is kind of like how these two storylines tie together. Is that correct?
0: It's exactly correct, bro. All I'm right, is, like, I, and I mean, gone.
1: everyone, like, like, I mean, because this is a big story, and
2: this it's, is, it, bro. It's this is separate. look,
0: bro. This is what I'm telling you. When you drop the Queen Esther on me, you don't know what you did, bro. You put me in the position where I could put that pivotal piece to the puzzle together. That kind of brings, like, yeah, man, you are gonna see where we are going with this All stuff. Right. So we was talking about how the aftermath. Of the second intermediate period is just so critical to the pendulum swing of history or the arc of space-time from the past to like this philadelphia experiment timeline we find ourselves on today you know uh because one of the, we, we mentioned uh some of it but another important aftermath what the thebans decided to do with the order of Ptah out of memphis was to expel them from the nile valley uh put them in exile in the caucasus Colchis, Kaz, what we know today is called ca- 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 caucasus mountains right and subject them to a lifestyle of utter bondage enslavement you know they they were made to be miners and forgers of metal okay and that was the lifestyle they were subjected to and the theban legions of mut under the banner of the black vulture was who kept them barricaded and secluded uh blocked off in the Caucasus mountains and they would bring in everything that they felt they wanted them to have and extract the metal uh raw and manufactured that these uh original caucasians were producing you know this this was this is the creation this is the historic event that created what we would call like the technologically driven detached from nature european who uh, you know appears to have some problem with uh black people you know they're white suprem quote unquote white supremacist ideology, like this, this is the historic foundation. I think I spoke about how, when you really, in, in a previous episode, when you study Christian Rosencruz and who he is, like, you know, one of the reasons why it appears like omniversal law is on their side, or like they got levels of Providence, you know, they're able to just do what they want to do because the pendulum swing of history, you know, the, the, the balance of the scales of Maat, eye, is still in that zone of providence, you know, because of the legacy of this uh, aftermath of the second intermediate period, you know. Very important, we gotta study this thing. Can't not factor this in when like, right, because if we were just studying history, you might not factor, it, but when you study history, mystery, and prophecy, you have to factor in omniversal law, the laws of cause and effect, the cause of polarity, right? These things are real, okay? So again, Mut, the black vulture, the prison, Pata Secker in the Caucasus Mountains, and We know the Theban legions of St. Maurice and the early Moors, they conquered Europe and enslaved Slavs under the, you know, black, of the banner of the black vulture, okay? That's, you know, it is what it is. And so when you see Prometheus strangling the vulture, in front of the Philadelphia Museum of Art, okay, you know what it is. This this is why Prometheus, who, when you study the mythology, uh, his punishment for giving electric fire to humanity was that he was bound to a rock of eternal torment in the Caucasus Mountains, and a black vulture would come and eat out his liver every day. But because he was immortal, his liver would just grow back and he would have to relive that torturous experience every day. And who frees Prometheus from the rock of eternal torment? It is Hercules. And who do we say Hercules is? Hercules is bald, okay? Yeah, so Hercules is Hereshaf and we see The clash of the Titans continues, that's that's who's here, you know? So I do just wanna mention again that while we're talking about this right in this context that Hercules frees Prometheus, right? This is the embodiment of Ramesses II, this Pharaoh I was telling you about, the third Pharaoh of the 19th dynasty, son of Seti I, son of Set, who, was the baller of ballers he was the ball he was the most ballific pharaoh that ever lived you know as far as the monuments that he erected and the people he conquered and the territory worldwide global domination that you know he was responsible for so he was Hereshaf of Harishafs, but he was also a, a big you know he built the Asarian. He, he really bigged up the He took his divine lineage from Pata straight to himself. He was involved in this time lensing technology. His technology ended up in the hands of a later baller, baller of ballers, the one known historically as Alexander the Great, Alexander the Greek, right? And from there, Totlemy Philadelphus, who used it in Hellenistic Greece and created uh, what we know as the Philadelphia Experiment timeline. We already covered that, but I'm bringing it back to its comedic roots, okay? And in, in this clash of the Titans and how it continues, what's, what do what they say is humanity's fate? for accepting the electric fire from Prometheus, right? We were put in the hands of Prometheus, right? So we're on the Philadelphia Experiment timeline. Also his brother, Epimetheus, whose afterthought, this is the mad scientist. This is Imhotep, the high priest of of Pata out of Memphis, the doctor, uh, you know, the Cadesis. Remember the Cadesis uh, men, I mean, excuse me, the spirit of enterprise ball, oh, he had the caduceus in his hands, but the serpents had left the staff, right? So yeah, the pr- Epimetheus, the brother of Prometheus is afterthought. That's like the mad scientist. Oh, I'm going to create x-ray therapy, but oh, it, you know, actually gave you more cancer spread throughout later on or whatever. Like there's always an afterthought to whatever approach is taking, you know, the, the side effects, the after effects it's, you know, always factored afterwards. Right. And then, uh, ball Hercules, Hercules is given rule over the fate of, of humanity. And, uh, yeah, that's the spirit of enterprise. So the clash of the titans is continues. And you know, meanwhile, again, the Olympians there. We, we, we've been balled out. We don't really have access to the Olympian gods, the, the gods of the Thebans, you know. Clash of the Titans is continuing. Okay. So again, let, let's get into the ball. Like right? we said, Hercules is bald, and that. These were the shipmakers, sailors, canal makers, right? And they spread throughout the Mediterranean world, Eurasia, okay? Uh, and wherever they went, Harashaf, Baal, they got different names, okay? In Babylon, it was known as Marduk and Moloch. Uh, Phoenicians called them Melkart, right? Yoruba, they called them Shango. Okay, it's known by many names, many people. Okay, something else we already mentioned this earlier, but this is important that really the one the Thebans at some point, and biblically it's recorded in, in the time of Solomon, they aligned with the ballers and was probably balling here in the Americas. You know, why is that? Because King Solomon had a pact with Hiram of Tyr, and Hiram of Tyr was an absolute baller. We're gonna get into that, right? Uh,
2: But the ships of Tyr,
0: they were given, Tyr was given to Hiram by Solomon in exchange that uh, Solomon's priests could ride on the ships of Tyr. Okay, we covered that in another episode on on the Queen's Hold the Key. We already covered that, that, you know, Solomon gave Hiram choice port cities in the Mediterranean, right, and made a pact that his priests could sail with the with Hiram and the ships of Tyre, that they had a fleet of Tarshish. Tarshish is the Rock of Gibraltar, which was known as the Pillar of Hercules. Right, this is, this is like uh, ship. These shipmakers they had important ports. Uh, Tyr was an important port because anything coming up the Nile could then be shipped across. Mediterranean, and then link with these fleets of Tarshish that would go on these three year sails. They would leave the Rock of Gibraltar and go on three year sails and come back with all kinds of gold and this, that, and the other, right? So, yeah, this is showing that from a long time, we would say at least 900 BC, after. The Great Flood, and after the ballers of pre-flood battles between Assar and Patah, right? About nine hundred ballers were making their way back into the Americas. Okay, reaffirming that is when we study uh, Carthage, the Carthaginians and who founded Carthage and their relationship to Tarsus and the Americas, okay? So Carthage, even though it's kind of remembered for its uh, super masculine kings like Hannibal, right? Carthage was founded by a woman who ironically name is Elsa, Elisa, you know? here we go. Like, uh, and and she had a sister named Anna, Anna ball, Annabelle. Okay. Uh, Elisa, the founder of Carthage, she had a sister named Anna. So Mike, bam, I know you're on mute, but, uh, yo, here we go. Uh, uh, echo of the, that frozen archetypes that you had tuned into being important to solve in the, Greater Mysteries of Susquehanna in this region, okay? Here it is in the legend of the founding of Carthage where her Greek name was Dido and her Semitic Phoenician Hebrew name was Elsa, Elisa, Elisa, okay? And the Greek name Dido is supposed to come from the same root as David right the root of solomon and david right saying that she's like of that bloodline she's the beloved she's the the traveling hebrew right or the wanderer okay and she is the granddaughter of a king of Tyre named Baal esar the second or balthazar right and her husband was a wealthy merchant and again, this is how these ball players play. Her brother coveted her husband's wealth, and so he killed her husband and was was gaming to kill her. He was planning to kill her, and so she had to flee. And she fled to she fled from Tyre to Carthage, right? And she said she was said to ask the Carthaginians for a small piece of land. She said she wanted just a small piece by the coast, but as much land as she could define with a a cowhide. And the Carthaginians, you know, who lived there previously, them assuming that that would be a very small piece of land, they said, all right, no problem. And she created the most surface space possible by solving what is known in mathematics as Dido's problem or the isoparametric problem, enclosing the maximum area within a fixed boundary, right? And she did that by cutting the cowhide into thin strips and making an isometric pattern around a mound that was close to the coast of the Mediterranean. And so thus, she was able to occupy this like super important piece of land that became, you know, the city of Carthage. Okay. And you know, that is significant because what it really shows is that even though it's a matriarchal society, society like that really honors the seat of womanhood on the mounds is like, you know, they 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 still are mound gritters they were mound gritters okay you compare the story of the founding of carthage to the story of romulus and remus fighting over mounds to to found rome okay and that really does reflect how the daughters of tear they had a love-hate relationship with rome you know uh aeneas the the ancestral founder of rome was supposed to have uh you know, been loved by Dito, Dito, and he kind of spurned her love. So she she killed herself, you know, and this kind of set this 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 love and spurning of love set the stage for the love-hate relationship uh expressed in the Punic Wars. Okay. But something else that's very interesting about Dito, a couple of things. One, uh the Barcid family from whom Hannah Ball descends from. You know they they claim lineage uh, from Dido's family. Okay, a younger brother of Dido is the patriarch of of their family, right? But also it is said that Dido caused her thong to be placed as a half circle, touching the sea coast at each end. What? What is that reference to? Of course, one it is ref like why reference her thong because. She was, she's a daughter of tears. She's a daughter of, 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 you know, I guess we would say Africa, you know, she was a woman of the, you know, divine feminine goddess type, you know, her, her hips and waist made you couldn't help, but observe her thong, but also, uh, that, that curve, curving semi circle, uh, half circle made by a thong was referenced to that north wind passage we've been talking about that the Carthaginians the Tyrians the Tarsians had found and how they were coming over here and bringing refugees of Israel over here right and that this was the the legends that were played out this is the history that was played out that was recorded in biblical narratives that during the age of the prophets, you know, up until like, including Jonah, uh, Ezekiel, uh, Jeremiah is another important one, Isaiah, how they're documenting how different periods of occupation and destruction of of Israel, the Northern Kingdom was fleeing certain places, the Southern Kingdom was fleeing certain places, you know? This is where the Northern Kingdom was fleeing. So, Dido, Elisa, very strong legacy in North Africa and Tunisia, where modern, you know, day Carthage would be the daughters of Dido as a national uh, symbol. Women, pr- prominent women, and beautiful women of the area referenced as daughters of Dido. And, you know, the daughters of Dido are very, very important, even in Greek mythology. And so this explains a whole lot when we study Jane Lee, the Philadelphian prophetess, and some of the things we find in her prophecies and creating the Philadelphian society here in the West, right? Where, when, right, uh, the these propositions for a Philadelphian society was recorded lectures of Jane Lee. And uh, it comes to a question and answer point. And, and different ones ask Jane Lee, hey, what are some of the scriptures that inspire this creation of the Philadelphian society? Now, in my humble opinion, if you're creating a Philadelphian society and some scriptures are uh, inspiring you, the first scripture will come to my, my mind would be the prophecy of the Church of Philadelphia, Revelations chapter three. But that's not the prophecies that Jane Lee speaks to, okay? When she answered that question, she said, there are some scriptures brought to my mind as the prophetical passage in the 45th Psalm the daughter of tears shall be there with a gift. So this is telling us these rosy cross, these ones who are inspiring, who, who inspired the Philadelphia society prophecies. And again, we go deep into that in the great mystery Philadelphia. Yeah, they came here looking for the daughters of tear, the daughters of Dido, the daughters of Elisa, Elsa, right? The, the other, prophecy. She references that also when the prophet Isaiah, surely the ships of Tarshish shall wait to bring their sons from afar, their silver and gold with them. We already talked about Tarshish being Gibraltar, right? These is the prophecies that is inspiring. Jane Lee, the Philadelphia prophetess to proclaim this Philadelphian society being created in the West. And, and The fullness of that is for another discussion, too. Okay. But remember, we said that there was this pre flood clash between the original mound gritters, mound builders, the Asarians, who were building these earthen mounds where they were just building like, burying like themselves, kind of small, average sized humans in the mounds, and that this was maybe a part of terraforming, creating a lush Edenic garden state where they didn't have to like trade or commerce or barter. They could just live in one with the land, you know? And that pre-flood, these order of Ptah Saker started occupying the mounds with, uh, right, they were burying giants in them. They were building fortifications on them. They were building edifices and other like towers of power on them. And that there was like this pre-flood mound gridding battle. Okay. Well, the daughters of Dido, the daughters of Tear, them being here with a gift. Yeah. The, the gift they had is that ballers, these Carthaginians, they were ballers. They began mound gridding here in the Ameri- Americas again. And they began, the bat- that same battle that was happening pre-flood was occurring again, where you had Prometheus, remember Prometheus and Baal, and they kind of, uh, Hercules frees Prometheus. So when Baal came over here, he brought the mound gritting Prometheus with him. And these Asarian Edenic mounds, the takeover began again with ballers and prometheus mound gridders solving dito's problem right so it was made like we say ergonomically right uh the earth wasn't created in turmoil too much not as much as uh like how rome mound grid through like killing their own brother and spilling the blood into the mound You know, that's like the story of Romulus and Remus, and that's like the Roman way of occupying the mound. Now, they do it by using mathematics and sacred geometry and isometric proportion. You know what I'm saying? But it was still Prometheus and Baal, mound takeover, same way. And these are the mounds that began to be occupied by giants post-flood.
2: And those uh,
0: those people, they, they, you know, began to be, they were known, they didn't call themselves these, but what they are, who they are known as historically are the Adena and the Susquehanna. Okay. These are the two cultures where we could say they were Mound builders, they were mound gritters, but they were also giants. And they were also very concerned with trade, transatlantic trade, having trade routes to the Atlantic coast into the interior. And that was a big motivator of you know both of these groups. Okay. And because of that trade and commerce, they had native other. Indigenous natives who, even though they're mound gritty, they may not have been with, like, had giants in their mounds, right? They were still ballers nonetheless. And those would be the Mingues, the Mingos, uh, as well as the Haudenosaunee, who are known historically as the Iroquois. These were ballers in America. Okay, these were the daughters of Dito that came over with that. Uh, Wave of Carthaginians and Tarshishians after the founding of Carthage, and through solving Dido's problem, isometric proportion occupied the mounds of the Americas. Remember, in previous episodes we said the Lenape come—you know the word not Lenape, Algonquin, the language family, Algonquin, comes from the word Alijuanek, which means, you know, a language that comes together from distant places, many different places. And there's several migratory waves that have made up who we would call the Algonquin people, that there's this root stock that's been in the Americas for at least 13,000 years, right? descended from what we would call that legend land of Atlantis, pre-flood lands, right? The ones who put the Abu Ghida, the pre babel language that Giz and Tamil are, are most aligned with, most ancient of tongues, because Algonquin is an Abu Ghida, that's its classification. The root people that had that Algonquin uh, Abu Ghida root first people seeking refuge in this area, right? Then there was a a wave who we would call the Mississippian mound builders. They started coming around 1500 BC from the Mississippi uh, Valley, you know, Mississippi and the, and the, the plains of the Americas. They're known as the Yamasee, okay? Remember, we said this wave came, right? Then there was a next wave that came around 750, 500 BCE, and that uh, they, these are the ones that took the northern route. Okay, we've been getting consistency. We've been talking about this, right? Okay, we could generally say, generally speaking, the Yamasee, Mississippian mound builders, they were the They had come to the Americas seeking refuge during the uh, between the first intermediate first intermediate period, second intermediate period of Kemet, when there was a lot of instability in the land, right? They came over, a lot of them came over here. And uh these would be like like you say in the time of Amos, Yamos, the Yamasi. These mound builders, they were Asarian. We find their post-flood Asarian mounds. These are the root people of them, where they're humans. There may be uh, adornment, there may be pottery, right? But they're usually found in like an embryonic, a fetal position facing a certain way, the east, and from, you know, where they came. And uh, the mound is like a womb, like the earth mother. And uh, usually forests tend to grow over and around these mounds, where you can live Edenically through maybe terraced agriculture on the mounds and foraging in the forest. This, this defines their lifestyle. The ones that came in this wave, then they weren't In the commerce okay the ones that came like with the lost 10 tribes through that northern route they was ballers and their clashes and mount occupation it is recorded by the different uh algonquin speakers including the lenape okay so you can google search this there's a lot of Uh, you know, like say Lenape and giants, or just research Native Americans and giants, because even in Southwest Americas, there are legends and traditions of smaller Native Americans defeating these giants who were kind of like terrorizing them, tearing up the land, uh, mashing up the rivers, eating people, you know, just living, wow building these huge uh fortifications you know so I'm gonna reference a couple here's one uh from a website named Esoturks. and I chose this one because he overstands the continuity he says that the clash of the Native Americans and Giants is a Titanocamy it's you know the clash of the Titans continues okay and he kind of uh opens by quoting a missionary john Heckewelder, who who studied the lenape and how they re- recount an ancient race called the Alagiwi who with the word allegheny comes from and that that these and Alagiwi just means foreigner like remember oligiwine the the root word for algonquin means come together from many f- different foreign places right so uh Alagiwi just kind of in a general sense means foreigner, someone who's come from a different land, right? So these original Allegheny they built themselves regular stone fortifications and entrenchments, and they were remarkably tall and stout. Okay. And uh they go on to quote another Algonquin, a man by the name of one too who recounted the following ancestral tale, who built the stone chambers. We should read this. Long, long ago, my people lived in peace and prosperity. One day strange beings came from the direction of the rising sun. These beings were much taller than my people. My people greeted them as friends and they began to build the stone huts you call chambers. They would have huge fires around them and would be able to commune with spirits. I I would say energy because these chambers stored energy, oh, there you go, and acted as doorways to the spirit world. And it said that the giant stones were moved by spirit power with a great wind. These beings were considered by my tribe to be messengers of the great spirit, and they lived with my ancestors for a very long time. There was a great exchange of ideas and knowledge, not only with our tribe, but also with the Delaware, Algonquin, and Huron people. All right, so this is showing that you know, again, we said there were different waves who made up Algonquin speakers. And this is that wave of Carthaginians that came the, and they were mound gridders and they built fortifications and added stone edifices on top of the mounds they occupied, right? Here's another source that I really honor and respect my good brother, Turtle Gang, out of NYC, out of New York. His brother, he's, he's a Lenape, His, he comes from, a family of Lenape who did not go west, but did not uh, succumb to the identity of Negro. And they are keepers of the culture here in Lenapehoking and keepers of the language. This is, I hope to link with this brother one day to get the breakdown on some words uh, like nitibank and you know how to really pronounce it Who is Winona? We got to like, you know, what is, how do you say daughter of the king, daughter of the sachem, how do you say that? And what does it mean? You know, this brother holds those keys. And I know he's very sensitive about other people who are not Lenape speaking for them and identifying who they are. I'm really aware of that. I met him a couple of times and had the opportunity to briefly reason with him, you know, and uh, I look, I, I blessed them with a copy of the great mystery. I look forward to the day we can, you know, follow up and build on. that, Right. But on his website, he records the class, the continuation of the class of the Titans, uh, you know, and that how at one time, remember, we said there was many waves who make up the Algonquin. They have recorded in their tradition that at one time they lived in the sippy you know what we know of as uh mississippi right and that uh they had to align with another group of people named the mengway so the iroquois the Haudenosaunee. this group of indigenous that lived in the great lakes to battle the alleghenies these you know giants who came from afar, from the East, making these stone, excuse me, making these stone encampments, uh, you know, in what we call the Allegheny Mountains, like around Ohio, uh, great, like incurring on the Great Lakes, uh, using the uh, area of the Alleghenies as, as a base, building these fortified, Mound entrenchments and engaging in war you know just wilding, right? And that uh again, the, the Lenape them live on the west side of what he calls, what he says is the proper name, the Namese Sipu, which is the you know, the correct name of the Mississippi, and that the Lenape asks, like, hey. We just want to get to east. We want to get to to the coast. Can we pass through your land? And originally the al they said, yeah. But as they started coming through, then the the giants attacked them, right? And they had to, again, align with the Iroquois, align with the Mingue, align with who became known as the Susquehannocks, right? Who originally are from the Great Lake regions against these giants because the giants was causing ruckus against them both, okay? And uh, they defeated the giants, they defeated them, okay? So now we know today that right by the time of colonization, the Lenape and the Mingwees, the the Lenape and the Susquehanna the Lenape and the Haudenosaunee, they were, they were enemies. Why? What happened? Because the Mengues, the Iroquois, they decided to stop living like Asarian mound builders. They decided to stop living Edenic and to start engaging in trade, commerce, enterprise. And they aligned with the Susquehanna against the Lenape and other Algonquin speakers who still wanted to live a Sarian and not be ballers, you know. And this is the foundation of that Minguez historic trail that runs through Lancaster. Okay. This is when you study that history, all of that's gonna tie in to the to this picture, you know. And uh You know turtle gang talks about how the mounds of the giants were different types of mounds that they were really mounds of mass burial grave sites where once these giants would engage in a battle and hundreds of people would be killed that they would make a huge pile of humans and then just cover it in earth and then build their edifices on top of that right this is what we see today. If you read Free Your Mound and your mind will follow. Okay. You had uh, all their nations. Building mounds like this, doing these type of. Uh, like, right, when we study these modern cities today and see the necrogeomancy that was going on again, consistency and c- continuity. I, I, I can't just imagine that necrogeomancy just popped up. No, it started pre-flood and when that later wave of who we call indigenous Americans, because they've been here for at least. Uh, a, what, a thousand years? This is 2000 A.D., 3000 years. They started coming around 900 B.C. So twenty eight hundred. Years ago is when they first started coming here you know but this mound gridding battle has been going on and it's recorded in lenape history if you could put it in the proper context right so we have to say that the colonial mound grid that we see is an outgrowth of the adena susquehannock ballers occupying asarian mounds in america Consistency, continuity, it's important, okay? And yeah, that's that's what it is, okay? Now, if this is the case, then we should see the early mound gritters picking up the ball, picking up the uh, playbook, the ball playbook of how to occupy the mountains, right? There should be some evidence of that. And there is, there is, okay? Let me show you that. We're gonna go to the website of, I should before I go. Well, yeah, I'll I'll just go there, okay? Henry Brackenridge, this is a letter that he sent to Thomas Jefferson The orchestrator of the louisiana purchase right that's who thomas jefferson is so the westward expansion third president and we already know thomas jefferson was a serious mound gritter this brother was you know if y'all see my freer mound then your mind will follow presentation you know thomas jefferson had meridian mound madness he was the one who created meridian hill mound in washington dc aligned it with the washington monument He, you know, this dude had mad study for mounds. He he took a mound at Monticello, his his own plantation, which means little mound, and he did a stratigraphic dissection of it to study the mound layer by layer to to discern what was in it. And it was an Asarian mound that he discerned because you know they were indigenous, buried and uh, embryonic fetal position facing the east with maybe copper implements and adornments, right? Pottery. So, Brackenridge is going west, studying the mounds and identifying the mounds that needed to be gridded and occupied, and and distinguishing between the Asarian mounds and the baller mounds, okay? Let's survey this letter. You see it was written July of 1813, okay? From a knowledge of research into this history of the primitive inhabitants of America is one of my favorite amusements. And I take liberty of making this communication, okay? My my attention to this subject was first awakened as a boy when I read your Observations and notes on Virginia, because that's where uh, Thomas Jefferson recorded his that section of the map, and it has become with me a favorite theme of speculation. I often visited a mound and other remains of Indian antiquity in my neighborhood of Pittsburgh, my native town, attracted by pleasant interest of which I scarcely knew scarcely knew the cause. So he had like mound madness, like Thomas Jefferson, like I do, like I'm really fascinated and captivated and magnetized in the study of mounds. Like when you understand what this thing is and how important it is to understanding what the Americas are, you know? So this man got the same thing, mound madness. So he's talking about the Mississippi, right? How Volney, who was a French man uh, through New Orleans kind of gave some idea what to expect out there and that there was a people who lived there who were Asarian, okay? And the reason why to be found in the peculiar manner of the inhabitants by whom it was formerly occupied, like those of Mexico, their agriculture had for its only object, their own sustenance, no surplus was demanded for commerce with foreign nations and no part of the soil susceptible of culture was devoted to pasturage. so they didn't raise cattle right they sustenance farmed and 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 forage they didn't trade yet extensive forests filled with wild animals would still remain so they had these edenic forests okay he's identifying these asarians in the land the aggregate population of the country might be less. So they wouldn't have as many people, but that this that of particular districts much greater. So in other words, if this wasn't how there was a lot, this was a large part of how the America was, it wouldn't have been so many people over here back in the day. We must in this way account for the astonishing population of the Vale of Mexico, when first known to the Spanish da 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 da, right? And he's saying the same thing was in the Mississippi, however, there are discovered the traces of two distinct races of people or periods of population, one much more ancient than the other. The traces of the last are much more numerous, but mark a population less advanced in civilization. So these Asarians, yeah, they weren't, they didn't need technology. Why fix something that ain't broke? It lived edenic, nature and earth provided everything they needed. So From a baller's perspective, they're less advanced, but in fact, they belong to the same race as exist in the country when the French and the English affected their settlement. What? Okay, remember that. But since the intercourse of these people with the whites and the astonishing diminution in numbers, many of their customs have fallen into disuse it is not more than 120 years since the character of the population, which left the traces of the second period underwent a change." So after this second period, right? This other, this appearance of these other mound gritters, the character of the whole population underwent a change. The appearances of fortifications of which so much has been said. So look, they, 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 they are, even though he didn't talk about it prior to this, Amongst the early colonists, fortified mounds were sought after and talked about, and which have been attributed to a colony of the Welch. In other words, the people who took that northern route from Europe over here used nothing more than the traces of palisaded towns or villages. The first travelers mentioned this custom of surrounding their towns with palisades, palisades, which is war fortifications. The earth was thrown up a few feet and pickets placed on the top. I have seen old volumes in which they represented, in which they are represented in their engravings. The Arikara and the Mandan villages are still fortified in this way. So he's identifying the indigenous ballers in contrast to the indigenous Asarians and how you find their mounds and how their way of life was, okay? The traces of these are astonishingly numerous in the Western country. I should not exaggerate. If I was to say 5,000 might be found, some of them enclose more than 100 acres for some cause or another, and we know that they are, enough of which might suffice to affect it. The population had been astonishingly diminished immediately before we became acquainted with them. So this is important. In the American clash of the title, Titans, right? The giants, the edina the, the Susquehanna, they had come. And yeah, the Lenape, when they aligned with the Mingwes, the inhabitants of, uh, the, the human inhabitants of the Great Lakes, they almost exterminated the giants, almost, almost completely exterminated. I think the Susquehanna were like the last remnants, the last survivors of this Battle of the Giants. And the battle occurred most in the Ohio Valley, near the Mississippi Valley and the Great Lake areas. Okay? The, and the Minguez and the Lenape made a pact. They said after they defeat the Giants, the Minguez was gonna occupy the, their former homeland ancestral lands which is the great lake regions and the lenape the the, those who were coming from mississippi then the masisipu right uh they were going to get to go all the way east and settle in what what became lenape Hokan. all right so in this battle the one the ones that built fortified stone chambered mounds and where you now these were large people that it said giants lived among them every single one of them was not a giant but they were large in stature maybe seven feet in average six to seven feet in average but then there were giants amongst them okay so let's continue for some cause or another the population had been astonishingly diminished immediately before we became acquainted with them, and yet Charlevoix mentions a town of the Mascouten tribe, at present incorporated with the Kickapoos, containing a thousand families. The barrows, or general receptacles of the dead, such as examined by yourself, may be classed with the palisade towns. So they came here looking for again distinguishing these types of mounds. Though they are much more numerous, they are in fact to be found in almost every cornfield in the Western country. The tumuli or mounds are often met with where there is no appearance of palisade villages, fortifications, or burrows. So again, you're gonna find mounds everywhere. Some are gonna be palisaded or fortified, some are not. The first and more ancient period is marked by these extraordinary tumuli or mounds. I have, so so the most ancient are extraordinary in size, because again, they each successive generation would build on top of the more ancient mound. I have reason to believe that their antiquity is very great. The oldest Indians have no tradition as to their authors or the purposes for which they were originally intended, yet they are unconsciously, formally in the habit of using them for one of the purposes for which they were first designed to wit as places of defense. The old Chief de told me, Mr. Rice Jones, that the mounds in the American bottom had been fortified by the Cascaquillas in their wars with the Iroquois. An old work by Lafittal, a Jesuit, which I met with at New Orleans, contains a curious plate in which one of these mounds fortified by pal- palisades on the top and large beams extending to the bottom is assaulted by enemies. These tumuli as well as the fortifications are to be found at the junction of all of the considerable rivers, in the most eligible positions for towns, and in the most extensive bodies of fertile land, their number exceeds perhaps 3000, the smallest not less than 20 feet in height, and 100 in diameter at the base. Their great number and the astonishing size of some of them may be regarded as furnishing with the circumstances evidence of their antiquity i have seen sometimes induced to think that at the period when those mounds were constructed there existed on the mississippi a population as numerous as that that once animated the borders of the nile or the euphrates or of mexico and peru the most numbered the most numerous as well as the most considerable of these remains are found precisely in the part of the country where the traces of numerous population might be looked for, from the mouth of the Ohio, on the east side of the Mississippi to the Illinois River, and on to the west side of the St. Francis to the Missouri. And I'm perfectly satisfied that cities similar to those of ancient Mexico, of several hundred thousand souls have existed in this part of the country. Nearly opposite St. Louis, there are the traces of two such cities in the distance of five miles on the bank of the Cahokia, which crosses the American bottom at this place. There are not less than 100 mounds in two different groups. One of the mounds falls a little short of the Egyptian pyramid. My Sirius, when I examined it in 1811, I was astonished that this stupendous monument of antiquity should have been unnoticed by any traveler. I afterwards, talking about the Cahokia Mound, I afterwards published an account in the newspapers at St. Louis, detailing its dimensions, describing its form, position, but this, which I thought might almost be considered a discovery, attracted no notice, and yet I stated it to be 800 paces in circumference, the exact size of the pyramid of Asikis, and 100 feet in height, the mounds at Grave Creek and Marietta are of the second or third class. The mounds of St. Louis at New, Ju- New Madrid and at the commencement of Black River are all larger than those of Marietta. The following is an enumeration of the most considerable mounds on the Mississippi and on the Ohio. The greater part I examine myself with such attention as the short time I had to spare would permit. And he goes on to list them, okay. Pittsburgh, Marietta, Cincinnati, New Madrid, St. Louis, Cahokia, right? Baton Rouge, and on the bayou, one of the mounds near the lake is chiefly composed of shells. The inhabitants have taken away great quantities for the purpose of making lime. At each of these places, there are groups of mounds and at each There are probably once existed a city on the other is considerable rivers, which are tributary to the Ohio and Mississippi in Kentucky, Tennessee, state of Ohio, Indiana territory. They are equally numerous, but the principal city and center of population was between the Ohio, Mississippi, Missouri, and Illinois. I have been informed that in the plains between the Arkansas and St. Francis, there are numerous and some very large, they resemble the teokali and these important important features. In their positions, the cardinal points are observed with considerable accuracy. That means they're magnetically aligned, right? With due north cardinal, magnetic, north, east, west, and south. The larger mounds have several stages. In every group, there are two mounds much larger than the others. The smaller mounds are placed around symmetrically. A closer examination will show a resemblance and other particulars. It is doubted by Humboldt whether advantage had not been taken at some natural rise in the formation of the pyramid. So they may have already started with a high place and then built the mounds on top of there, right? With respect to the Mount of Cahokia, there can be no doubt for it stands in the midst of alluvium, and there is no natural hill nearer than the two miles. Such are the appearances of antiquity in the Western country, which I consider as furnishing proof of an ancient and numerous population. The resemblance to those of New Spain would render probable the existence of the same arts and customs, perhaps an intercourse, the distance from the large mound on the red red river, da, 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 okay.
2: Yeah, so. The antiquity of these
0: mounds is certainly very great. This is not inferred from the growth of trees. Remember, these natural forests would grow on the trees from which the inhabitants could forage from, right? They didn't need commerce, which proved an antiquity of a few centuries. But from this simple reflection, a people capable of works requiring so much labor must be numerous, and if numerous, somewhat advanced in the arts. We might therefore look for works of stone or brick, the traces of which would remain at at least eight or 10 centuries. The Great Mount of Cahokia is evidently constructed with as much regularity as any of Tiakali or New Spain, and was doubtless cased with brick or stone and crowned with buildings. But of these, no traces remain near the Mount of St. Louis. So again, later in time, these uh baller mound gridders took them over and started fortifying them with stone, right? Taking over this this mound takeover occurred and then the nature of the people started changing.
2: Okay. Y'all can read the whole
0: uh read the whole letter yourself. So on the Founders Online website, archives.gov, okay? The name of it is Henry Brackenridge to Thomas Jefferson, but I wanna point out one last thing, who he cc'd it to. He cc'd this joint to who? Casper Wistar. Casper Wistar, if you wanna get some overstanding of Casper Wistar, he cc'd this letter to Casper Wistar, who is respond. Who, check him. Check out my video, America's First Pandemic. All right, check out Casper Wistar's legacy in there. But Casper Wistar was a bankroller. The Lewis and Clark Expedition. He La University here in Philadelphia is uh, on the former Wistar State. what you know they know is as Wister Woods. You know it's a part of uh, the original Germanopolis right and the mascot for Lasalle is the La Salle explorers so Lewis and Clark had been given this information it was used you know in the mound gridding of America okay and again they used this idea that yo there's these Asarian mounds that they're the these Edenic living ones and then they're these ballers these ones that use stone enclosures and fortifications make chambers tied up with energy somehow right you know using some energy or technology somehow okay and they went looking for the mounds with that in mind
2: okay that's one smoking
0: gun another smoking gun is the book of mormon here we go back with the mormons okay we, we touched on them <clears throat> how you know big part of this space-time manipulation and the pendulum swing is to make the slav the more man and to make the more the slave right and how this thing is playing out we, we talked about this but well, here they are again where when you study the book of mormon okay the plains of the nephites the plains of the nephites rolling over the mounds This is critical critical to the book of mormon okay where uh this area you see right here which is like what connects the mississippi missouri ohio rivers up with the great lakes you know which if you're Coming from the Mississippi, you'd have to pass through to get to Lenape Hocken, right? In the Book of Mormon, this area is referred to as the plains of the Nephites. And this is where the last stand, the, the last battle of the giants, the fallen angels, occurred until the coming of who we call the colonists. And we got to overstand this thing now i'm start by mentioning if you go and research the book of mormon today there's 116 pages missing okay and these 116 pages is where you get to overstand the importance of mounds in mormonism okay so finding primary that primary source is difficult but there is ample uh, secondary references. Okay, we're gonna start with this one, okay, Mormons and the Mounds by Jonathan Neville. This was written in 2017. And you read the abstract, he says, look, Mormonism sprang from the Mounds, okay? You quoted Roger Kennedy is saying, who uh, was a former director of the Smithsonian. So again, this is showing the Smithsonian they were aware of all this is I've, I've seen some research to say this is what the Smithsonian's whole intention was identifying the various mounds Asarian mounds tended to be dug up and flattened and used the earth used for other things the Adena mounds of the giants tend to be tended to be re-fortified repurposed re- memorialized you know with edifices or forts or mass burials of wars, or maybe even had wars fought on them in different things, right? But that uh, the Mormons encoded all of this ability to identify the various mounds in the Book of, the, of Mormon, and that there's 116 pages where it's all encoded. And, you know, that 116 pages is hard to, def- to find. These, These 116 pages was a description of the mounds in the country and similar to the Book of Mormon. In 1843, Joseph Smith apparently alluded to the 116 pages when he said the Book of Mormon spoke about sacred burial places. Several authors have placed the Book of Mormon among the 19th century books about the origins of mound builders. At one time, there were over a million ancient earth mounds in North America approximately a hundred thousand remain today many of these mounds are located in the territory from western new york through western missouri where early mormon history took place three specific mound figure prominently in latter-day saint history zelfs mound in illinois the kinderhook mound also in illinois from which six brass plates were taken and the enon mound in ohio so let me mention They say the Book of Mormon was translated by Joseph Smith from these six brass plates, you know? And that uh, these plates were kind of like a book, a playbook, how to play ball in the Americas that was put in these mounds by the losing adina the losing a giants like they were lo- you know the the humans were beating them the algonquin speakers the lenape and the uh the mingway speakers of the great lakes were defeating them they put these tablets these uh plates in this mound as a playbook to what how to how to win how to take everything back over and this is what the book of mormon is okay until the early saints all right until the early saints leveled them to build homes and farms indian mounds dominated Navoo. so that's what i'm saying they, they leveled some mounds some mounds were held in reverence less joseph smith purchased one and resorted to it from time to time Less well known are the mounds located just north of Nauvoo that have recently been discovered and preserved. The connections between Mormonism and the mounds of North America have yet to been fully explored. Well, here are these keys, okay? He goes on to say Indian mounds have long been a part of American history. George Washington used ancient mounds for military positions, Thomas Jefferson excavated a mound. One on his property in Monticello in 1894, the Smithsonian's Bureau of Ethnology published a book by Cyrus Thomas that depicted a a map of around 100,000 mound sites located mainly along the rivers of the Midwestern and Southeastern United States. Many of these sites have multiple mound structures, some as many as 100 one researcher wrote after visiting several thousand mounds and reviewing the literature i am fairly certain that over one million mounds once existed and that perhaps one hundred thousand still exist oddly some new mound sites are discovered each year by archaeological surveys in remote areas okay so the mormons and the mounds this thing was big to them and again in the book of mormon it was that was the playbook which who was who which mounds to occupy, which mounds to level, to, so that Baal and Prometheus could take over the global mound matrix, key points here in the Americas, just wipe out the original Osirian intention of the mounds, okay? And hey, we're gonna, we're gonna delve into this online source here, okay? which is an old old commentary. It was written in 1841, 1841, before the 116 pages were deleted. So it's an old commentary on the Book of Mormon. And it talks about the mounds, who the mound builders were, the different ones, how it is looked at within Mormonism. And what's the playbook? This This is as close to, Reading the actual playbook, or well, one of the sources is close to the actual playbook we could find. Now, Mormons themselves may have the 116 pages. I wasn't able to find it. And others may have access to it, you know, and maybe ones who can find it can put the source in the in, in, in comments. But for right now, we're going to penetrate this and it's definitely more than enough. Okay. So now, in this commentary of the Book of Mormon, says that there were three groups of native americans okay one they called the jaredites the other were called the lamanites and the third group is called the nephites so now if i use biblical names as the key to decode who these groups are right the jaredites jared is the father of enoch so he's talking about some pre-flood indigenous, I should say pre-flood Algonquin, I have on the slide pre-flood Lenape, but pre-flood Algonquin speakers with Jaredites, right? Lamanites, post-flood Algonquin speakers, post-flood Lenape, and a Lamanite. If you're a Lamanite, what are you? You're a lamenter, you're a baller, boo-hoo-hoo. Ballers that are balling now, they crying now. They was, they was bawling, but now they crying. A lamenter is a Lamanite. And then where do we find Neph as, as a root of people referenced in the Old Testament? The Nephilim, the fallen angels. So these are the children of the Nephilites, the Nephilim, right? The Nephites. And they're just the, the straight up ballers, the giant makers, the you know commerce, trade fortified enclosement and you know bartering okay so this is who the book of mormon identifies and they 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 say now the nephites were civilized industrious people check this they're big in the nephites whereas the lamanites post-flood algonquin became idle savage vicious people delighting in war and bloodshed Therefore, the Nephites had to prepare for themselves for self-defense, which they did by fortifying their cities and casting up banks of earth round about their armies and sometimes building walls of stone to encircle them about, which accounts for the numerous fortifications and works of defense found so profusely scattered over this land. And when the people of these nations became numerous, they had extensive wars in some battles, thousands were slain, who were piled up in heaps upon the face of the land and then earth thrown upon them. And this accounts for the numerous mounds and tumuli found in this country." So consistency and continuity. Then the Lamanites, God stirred up the Lamanites to camp against them round about and to raise forts against them with a mount. And the, so the Lamanites started building fortified encampments too and thus they were brought down. But just before their final overthrow, a man by the name of Mormon took their record, talking about the Nephites, containing their history and sacred writings from the time they left Jerusalem. So this is going back, remember Hiram was in America with Solomon, right? He said the Tyrians came, were balling in America with Solomon unto his days and were made out of ore these plates after mormon's death fell in the hands of arani his son who survived the entire destruction of the nephites finished the record and deposited in a stone box in the earth that it might not be destroyed to come forth in due time for a sign that the time of their redemption had come right you see they slipped in a hijack so i didn't even say that but and also in connection with the Bible to set up as an ensign for the nations. And thus, this nation of Nephilim, of Nephites, possessing the light of God's revelation. It was able to see it. So these tablets was the playbook for the future, how to mound grid in the future. And once they found this Book of Mormon and these tablets, right? Their words have not been written and hid up in the earth and come forth again out of the earth. They speak out of their ground and their voice whispers out of the dust, what? So it's telling you they left the playbook for necrogeomancy, how to make their voice come up out of the earth and speak out of the ground as the voice whispers out of the dust. Okay? This is what they were able to do when they got, when Joseph Smith got this book of Mormon and the necrogeomancy. We can go to this site. Is this it?
2: Yeah. This, this is it let me see yeah this is it all right so let me uh hold up
0: here we go all right the saint's herald the mound builders you see the date on this mound builders and the indians okay this goes into The three I told you about, the Jaredites, the Nephites, the Lamanites, this says, this commentary says that the Jaredites were absorbed into the Lamanites. And so they became in the Book of Mormon, two respective groups, the Nephites and the Lamanites. And that they were brothers, they from the same family, but they engaged in these battles and it was ultimately around mound building. Tied in the Egyptian culture, you know, I'm gonna get uh, here. An interesting topic is the consideration of their fortifications. In view of what we know today, as we have explained, we believe that their fortifications present are a remarkable likeness to those found among the remains of the mound builders. Okay, so this, they're telling you that the mound builders the Book of Mormon story, the main battlegrounds were the state of Ohio, parts of Pennsylvania, Western New York, okay? This is that those plains of the Nephi, this is where they considered the final battle to occur, where the mound builders who they were coming in succession to, this was like their last fortifications, okay? They go on to describe there are two forts, one an exact circle, the other an exact square. The former is surrounded by two embankments with a deep ditch between them. The latter is encompassed by one wall without any ditch. There are eight gateways or openings leading into the square fort and only one in the circular fort. The extreme care of the authors of these works to protect and defend every part of the circle is nowhere visible about this square fort. The former has a deep ditch encircling it, the latter has none. The round forts are picketed in, if we are to judge from the appearance and about the walls. Halfway up outside the inner wall is a place distinctly to be seen where the row of pickets once stood and where it is placed in the work of defense was originally erected. Okay, so the, yeah, this behold how great was the Lamanites disappointment for beheld the Nephites had dug up a ridge of earth around about them, which was so high that the Lamanites could not cast their stones or arrows upon them to save it as was by their place of entrance. Now at this time, the chief of the captain of the Lamanites were astonished exceedingly because of the wisdom of the Nephites in preparing their places of security for they, the Lamanites knew not that the Morani had fortified or had built forts of securities in all the lands round about them. Now behold, the Morani are the children of the Nephites. Now behold, the Lamanites could not get into their forts of security by any other way save by the entrance because of the highness of the bank, which had been thrown up. The Captains of the Lamanites brought up their armies before the place of entrance
2: to contend with the Nephites. Okay, so see, uh,
0: they're showing how these, you know, Asarian mound builders were fighting the Nephite line, mound builders, but the, the Nephites had built amazing fortifications that the Lamanites couldn't get out of, you know? So, yeah, man, Nephites built pyramids. Mike had asked where. The Nephites associated with the pyramid builders, they absolutely were. Here we go. This seems to be on careful research, two classes or more mounds. Writer believes that there are clearly two classes of mounds. The fortifications for defense were undoubtedly built by Nephites, okay? Thus the mounds of fortifications of Butler County, constructed with the Tavlaskalan gates or entrance was probably built by the same race that inhabited Central America and Mexico. The burial mounds, like just straight up burial mounds, were probably built by dissenting Nephites and Lamanites. Okay, Particularly those mounds in which the remains of man are found commingled with the remains of animals while the effigy mounds previously referred to could be ascribed to the previous civilization of the Jaredites. So they're providing, they're they're ascribing the Jaredites in this commentary as making the animal mounds like serpent mound and all of that, right? So yeah, I could go on and on, check it out, all right? But this is how the Book of Mormon and the Mound Builders tie in to all of this. And this brings us to spanish hill and queen esther's mound where queen esther's flats they identified as a place where yeah these was like the 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 queen spanish hill and queen esther's flats that uh were surveyed right below spanish hill giants were discovered there and as well as like artifacts and archaeological remains like uh cattle and bullhorn remember we say the original asarians they didn't pasteurize they didn't grow cattle but you find bulls heads and things at in the mounds of spanish hill right so and look again they referred this area is called referred to as queen esther's flat so this was that pivotal key man that let me look at this thing and piece it all together okay and Yeah, this source is called the stature of a Susquehanna population in the mid 16th century based on skeletal remains. Okay, it was written by Marshall Becker. Here's the abstract where he refers to John Smith talking about the Susquehanna being giant like people. Right. And then again, where do they excavate to find the skeletal remains to confirm that? queen Esther's flats. Okay, I'm just gonna close this thing out by tying this into ball games and the mounds. And this information was synchromystically shared with me, uh, where someone who had been on my more recent tours told me to check out Old World Baltimore because ball team more right now this guy's name is jared boosters yo everyone so they look like they got jared like me where he just be teetering at ten thousand you see he's ahead of me now he might surpass me i right, see so he's in 9.91 i've been teetering at 9.8 all of 2021 i've i've not gained 200 and something subscribers in all of night uh 2021 to put me at 10,000 subscribers okay but this guy Jared boosters hey boost his count get him to 10,000 he does these old world city video series that i find is amazing but he drops the key to understanding how baseball and ball games all tie into this mound gritty let's listen to this real quick 80%. And this is a
3: stadium that's basically built with an earthen mound or a mound of earth that at one end looks like it is cut off and is installed a Roman nest entrance with pillars and large archways. Now, this would be interesting if by itself it only stood in Baltimore. However, we have stadiums that were built exactly like this all around the United States, including other cities that were said to have a vast history with the native americans including chicago and i've made other videos where i point out these stadiums but this one is just like those a massive earth mound with a romanesque entrance and it's interesting that all of these old world cities especially the ones that seem to fit these weird narratives all have these same features including large post offices and these underground tunnels that stem from the middle of the city and these stadiums that are built out of earth mass. And this stadium, Memorial Stadium, actually had a plane crash occur there during the playoffs of the NFL in 1977. So talk about bad luck,
0: but- All right, so I'm gonna pause it there. I just want y'all to check that, you know, cause I'm sure Mike, when, when Mike gets into uh, his part in playing ball, and how baseball was created by Abner Doubleday at the Theosophical Society, you know, all of this has to tie in, man. It all has to tie in. So, you know, uh, here in Philly, University of Pennsylvania, Franklin Field seems to match that description that the Good brother shared as follow, as far as like a stadium with an open end. Two columns, Romanesque columns, uh defining that open end, you know, on a raised platform. You can see this is like a tiered U Pen old Coliseum Stadium of U Penn fits that model, you know. And uh I'll close it by mentioning one other synchromistic experience I had since this ball uh theme has come up that we had to cover. And that is, I just ran into this movie called The Fan, where there's this fanatic uh, stalking a player He kidnaps his kid. It's like all the other dimensions of ball we need to get into. Like what, how, what sacrifices does ball like, right? All of that is kind of uh, subliminally hit on in this movie. But Robert De Niro, who is the fanatic and kind of like the embodiment of ball in the movie. He has this real cryptic line when, cause he, like I said, he kidnapped the player's son and the guy was asking him like, what do you want? You know, what do you want from me? And De Niro's response it seemed like he was speaking his ball himself. He says, what do I want? I want to be remembered every time you are. So when we go to these ball stadiums and play ball on these mounds, and, and remember we said Prometheus and ball became kind of one, these, these mound gritters of the North America. You know, this is ball in America, we balling in America, right? So yeah, man, I hope this reasoning was consistent, had continuity. Mike had to tune out, man. He had, uh, you know, other responsibilities and he didn't want to, bust the flow of the reasoning. He didn't know my chamber was so fully loaded. And so he was like, look, Ross, I don't want to interrupt your flow, but I got to go. I'm going to, uh, you know, line up 11.11, 11.11. We're going to play ball again. So uh, look out for that. And I hope this, you know, met your expectations and anticipation on our ball series so from one mystic to you all i say love and respect and look out for 11.11 soon peace